0: Just a name above. Jesus, show me who you are. Fill me with your heart. So that means whatever that's not like you, God, show me. And God, we make ourselves available to you that you may remove that thing. That we may make a choice to live for you and not ourselves. That we may make the choice to live in your love and lead your love to love those who are around us in Jesus name Lord, we praise you this morning. We give thanks to you with our whole hearts. Because your works are great. Full of splendor and majesty are your works. And your righteousness endures forever. You've caused your wondrous works to be remembered. You are gracious. And you are merciful. You provide food for those who fear you. You remember your covenant forever. You have shown your people the power of your works. You've given us the inheritance of the nations. The works of your hands are faithful and just and your precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. You've sent redemption to us. You've commanded your covenant forever. Holy and awesome is your name this morning, Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And all those who practice it have a good understanding. And your praise endures forever. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be soft to your word this morning. That you would teach it to us in a way that we can understand and that we need to understand. And I pray, as we just say, that we would build our life on it. And we thank you that you will bless us because of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen you can have a seat thanks for joining us this morning my name is bobby one of the pastors here at soma northwest and it's a privilege to worship with you this morning to sing with you to open the scriptures with you we have been over the last few weeks and and months even working through the book of exodus And what we have been seeing on Sunday morning is that Exodus is about God. It's about God being God. It's about God revealing his plan for his people and working out that plan. But one of the things we've also seen as we've worked through the book of Exodus is there's somebody else that's trying to be God. There's someone else that has a plan. There's someone else who's trying to work out. That plan and that someone is Pharaoh. And we have seen that this is a series of kings and and rulers of Egypt that have a plan for God's people because they think they are God. And that plan has involved genocide and slavery, exploitation, oppression. We have seen this over and over again. If you remember in Exodus chapter five, when God first has has sent Moses and Aaron, his, his prophets to Pharaoh and has told them, tell Pharaoh that the Lord says, let my people go. Pharaoh's response was, who is the Lord? I don't know him. Why should I obey him? I will not let the people of Israel go. And one of the things that it's important for us to remember and to remind ourselves as we're reading this book of Exodus is that Moses, who wrote this book, is not writing as a reporter for Eyewitness News, but that he's writing as a prophet of God with a message for God's people. And at this point, In the story that we have found ourselves in. What we're going to look at this morning. Moses wants his readers to ask the question. Will God be able to overcome Pharaoh's power? Will Israel be saved? Is the God of Israel. Greater than the gods of Egypt. Last week we saw that God promised. Through Moses, that he will show Pharaoh who he is and what he can do. And this morning, as we work through one of the most familiar series of stories in all of the scriptures, here's what we will see. And this is what I want us to get this morning and walk away with. God will confront anyone who is opposed To his plan to bring glory to himself. And to bring life to his people. That God will oppose anyone. Or anything that opposes his plan. To bring glory to himself. And to bring life to his people. And specifically what we're going to see this morning. Is that opposition comes in two ways. It comes in the idolatry of Pharaoh. And the Egyptians, and it comes from the injustice that they perpetrated on God's people. And what I want us to also see this morning is that what we read here, that what's happening at this time and in this place in the story of the scriptures is very deeply connected to us. Yeah. And it's something that as we bring this teaching this morning home In a few minutes that I want to connect with you and I want to connect with me. But as I was reading this week and preparing for this, uh, one of the resources I was using, I I want to read this paragraph. I want you to listen to this and I want you to take this in because this is where we're going this morning. This author wrote that Pharaoh is the epitome of human evil. He embodies the strange and tragic terms. The human heart can take when one person or a society places their own values and well-being over another person or society. The Pharaoh is what happens when an entire nation redefines good and evil apart from the wisdom of God. You get Egypt building its wealth and society on the backs of an abused oppressed and enslaved Israel. And as the story develops, Pharaoh even places his own reputation and pride above the well-being of his own people. This is a horrific situation and it's the Bible's diagnosis of the human heart. Amen. God has to respond and God will respond. And what we're going to look at this morning Are God's mighty acts of judgment against Egypt and against Pharaoh himself or what we commonly know as as the plagues, the plagues of Egypt. And this morning we're going to look at the first nine plagues and we're not going to dive into each one. We're not going to go in depth on any specific one. We're going to bounce around a little bit um, throughout these Two or three chapters here in Exodus, but we're going to pull out some important themes. We're going to pull out some principles here and patterns that we see that are important to understand what God is doing, what Moses, how Moses is portraying God and his judgment and also what that means for us today. So if you would turn with me to Exodus chapter seven, Exodus chapter seven, if you're using The uh, Bibles around you, you can find that on pages 29 and 30, and we are actually going to be working through bouncing around chapter the end of chapter seven, this this passage and also chapters eight, nine and ten. So we're going to cover a lot of ground this morning, but like I said, we're not going to try to go in depth with any one particular plague. Exodus chapter seven. And what we see here right at the beginning is something very, very significant. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. In the scriptures, when the Bible talks about the human heart, what the Bible is talking about is like the executive center of the human heart. Person, Our will, our longings, our desires, our capacity to make decisions, our, our choices and why we make those choices. It's kind of the heart is why we do what we do and is who we believe ourselves to be. It's at the center of who we are. And God tells Moses that Pharaoh's heart That center of who he is and why he does what he does is hard. It's hard. It's unresponsive. It's stubborn. It's numb. Pharaoh has lost the capacity for self-examination, for self-awareness. He can't hear anymore. He can't see who he really is. He can't understand that there is a different and better way to be and to live. He is hard. Towards God. A few weeks ago. I was cleaning my son Jack's room. And I found underneath some papers on his desk. A muffin. Uh, a muffin that we had had for breakfast two weeks before. And I never felt like that. Something like that in my life. That, that soft muffin. It was as hard as a rock. It was just hard. It was, it was, it was so inflexible. It was so just dense and hard because it had been left out, you know, in, in the open air for that long. And that's the picture that we see of Pharaoh's heart here. Something that God has made and has intended for humanity to be soft, to be open, to response, be responsive and receptive to him. That Pharaoh, his, his heart had become recalcitrant. It had become hard and just immovable and inflexible. And God being God anticipated this. And in Exodus chapter 3, if you remember, when he first calls Moses and says, I want you to go to Egypt. I want you to take this message to Pharaoh. I want you to deliver my people out of slavery. God tells Moses, but I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. Pharaoh's heart had become so hard that God told Moses, he will not respond unless I bring all of my power and all of my judgment against him. Pharaoh has a hard heart before these plagues, during these plagues, and after these plagues. And what's crazy about it, if you read each one of these passages, each of these 10 plagues, Pharaoh's hard heart is the one common thing in all of them. Moses makes the hardness of Pharaoh's heart central to these stories of God's acts of judgment. We read in Plagues 2 and Plagues 4, Moses writes that Pharaoh hardened his heart against God and his message. That Pharaoh was responsible for rejecting God. That he chose to redefine what was good and what was evil. That he chose to continue to abuse and to oppress God's people. Pharaoh, we see here, is heart sick. His his heart is sick with self-worship and rebellion against God. But we also see Moses also writes in Plague 6, eight, nine, and ten, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That God, in response to Pharaoh's continued rejection, turned him over to the consequences of his choices. That God said to Pharaoh over and over again, let my people go. Let my people go. Let my people go. God is trying to get Pharaoh to see that he is the one true God. That his people, Israel, are his his beloved sons and daughters. And again and again and again, Pharaoh rejects that and says, no, no, no. And eventually what we see is that God says, "Okay, if that's what you want, that's what you're going to get. Why does Moses paint this back and forth picture is God hardening Pharaoh's heart is Pharaoh hardening his own heart? The answer to that is yes, both are happening here. And Moses is trying to get his readers to see the mysteries of the human heart. In Jeremiah chapter 17, God says that the human heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately wicked. And even God himself says, who can understand? Who can understand the heart? Who can understand why the heart acts or uh, does the way or is 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 formed the way that it's formed and makes the the choices and the decisions that it makes? As God and we see this as God's acts over these 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 plagues go from just like annoyances. To things that are really, really tragic. Pharaoh begins to kind of move and shift a little bit. He starts making concessions. He says, well, okay, well, I'll let you go. But you have to leave all your animals and everything here. While you go and worship God. You have to promise to come back. Or I'll let you go and worship God. But only the men can go. The women and the children have to stay here. Pharaoh even in plague seven and eight. Begins to confess his sin. I mean, in Exodus chapter 9, verse 27, we read Pharaoh say this to Moses. Okay, this time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord. For there have been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. And in chapter 10, verse 16 He says, I have sinned against the Lord, your God, and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once and plead with the Lord, your God, to remove this death from me. Only if the plagues would stop. Only if Moses would go on Pharaoh's behalf before the Lord and plead with God to stop these acts of judgment. Then Pharaoh would let the people go. He's trying to control God, manipulate the situation. If we can just not experience the consequences of these things, we'll do what God wants wants us to do. We'll say the things that he wants us to say. We'll act the way that he wants us to act. Chance after chance that God gives Pharaoh. And that's how we see these things. That in these judgments, in these plagues against Egypt, God is actually being merciful. God is showing mercy. God is giving Egypt and Pharaoh chance after chance after chance to do what is right. To obey the Lord. But yet over and over again, that is spurned by Pharaoh. He rejects God. And at some point he crosses that point of no return. And God says, you want to be God. You want to be in control. You want to be fully responsible for your choices and your actions and your perceived power. Then you have it. You have it. And we see the language in Romans 1 where Paul talks about how God gave humanity over. That humanity wanted to worship other things, so God gave them over to that worship. That they wanted to redefine what was good for their life, so God gave them over to the consequences of those things. That's what we see here in these plagues and in these acts of judgment. That over and over and over again, Pharaoh chooses the opposite. He chooses the opposite of what God desires and what God tells him is good and true and right. And God says, finally, okay, that's what you want. That's what you got. Moses wanted his readers to see something here in this back and forth between Pharaoh hardening his heart and God hardening Pharaoh's heart. He wants us to see something because we often are asking the wrong question when we read something like this. The question isn't, are we as human beings free and responsible to act the way that we act under God's control and under God's sovereignty? But the question actually is, is God free to act and to do as he pleases over evil and our hard hearts? This is the lesson of the back and forth. God is free to deliver. God is free to be merciful. God is free to make good on his promises in spite of evil, rebellious human hearts, humans who think they are God, humans who try to set themselves up against the purposes of God. Even the most heinous human evil can't threaten God's plans. And what we are going to see throughout the book of Exodus is that this is the story of God's deliverance. That he can steer 400 years of slavery and oppression towards making good on his covenant with Abraham to bless all the nations of the world through Israel. That God's plans are not, are not, are not opposed by any human evil. Human evil cannot put an obstacle in God's path. Human evil cannot overcome the power of God. In Exodus chapter 9, verse 14, turn there with me. And listen to what God says to Pharaoh. Starting in verse 14, For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up To show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. God tells Pharaoh, listen, I could have been done with you a long time ago. I could have done what I wanted with you a long time ago because you're evil. You're rebellious. You're in opposition to me and to what I'm going to do. But I've let you live. And I've let you continue to do the things that you are doing so that I might show you my power. And I might show you that I am greater than you. And that my plans are greater than your plans. This is comforting. This is good news for us. To know that human efforts to thwart or control aren't a match for the power and the purposes of our God. But it also begs the question, why did God send all these plagues? Why did he choose to do this when he could have used one apocalyptic event to wipe Egypt out and to deliver his people once and for all? But go back there to verse 14. I will send all my plagues on you, yourself, your servants, your people, so that you may know there is none like me in all the earth. God is using these plagues, as we're going to see in a second, to prove to Pharaoh, to show systematically that he is God alone, that he is unique. That he is all powerful, that he is worthy of worship. You see, what God is doing here is not just about freeing his people. God is judging Pharaoh. God's deliverance of his people comes through judgment. That he is judging Pharaoh and Egypt for for their idolatry and their way of life. And this first act of judgment, if you turn back to chapter seven, that first act of judgment on the Nile River is significant because, as we've talked about before, the Egyptians worshipped the Nile. They worshipped that river as a God. It was the source of their life. It was the center of their culture and their understanding of who they were as a people. And in Exodus chapter seven, verse 15, God tells Moses, go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water and stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him. And when Moses strikes that water and it turns to blood. God put him there in front of Pharaoh. In front of Pharaoh's morning routine, face to face with him, so Pharaoh could see in person that God is more powerful than the gods of Egypt. That God is in control over the source of their life, the source of their worship, what they saw as their identity as a people. In Exodus 7, 20 through 24, later on and down in that passage We read Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile and all the water in the Nile turned to blood and the fish in the Nile died and the Nile stank so that all the Egyptians could not drink from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house and he did not even take it to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Pharaoh's magicians, they could copy what Moses did. They could copy what God did, but they couldn't stop it. They couldn't reverse it. That God, this river was blood and the death and and the stink for an entire week before God relented and reversed its effects. But Pharaoh wouldn't believe. He wouldn't even think that this God was greater than his God's. And I think it's interesting here in verse 24 that the Egyptians dug for water. They dug around the Nile. I just feel like that's kind of symbolic of they're clinging on to this false God. When the true God, the God of Israel, opposes and confronted their own God, they still were clinging. They still were searching. They still were digging to that source of their life and that source of their identity. As we move through these plagues, we see that plagues five, seven, and eight, when God strikes the livestock, when He sends hail and He sends locusts, it destroys their agriculture. It destroys these livestock, these animals. It hurts people. When you move down to plague nine, when God sends darkness that covers the entire land, that's significant because. Pharaoh was considered a son of the God Ra, who was the sun God, who brought light and life. And Pharaoh was considered a son of this God, that Pharaoh himself would bring light and life to his people. He would lead this empire into new life, into new power. And God brings darkness and God brings chaos in the darkness. It says God is it's as if God is saying you want to be God pharaoh then deal with this try to bring order out of this darkness like I brought order out of darkness <clears throat> try to create life when everything is dark like I created life when everything was dark the line of pharaohs created a religious And political, economic, technological system in Egypt that made Egypt one of the great empires in the history of the world. They made themselves great and powerful. They provided comfort and security to their people for generations and generations. And systematically through these plagues, God is tearing down their identity. The things that gave them security, the things that made them feel powerful, the things that they worshiped. God is coming in piece by piece by piece and saying, I am greater than this. I have control over this. I can work my will above and beyond this. They saw the Israelites as a threat to their way of life, their dreams. They dehumanized the Israelites and built their empire through oppression. And God steps in and says, these are my people and I am their God. And they will no longer be objects of oppression, objects of slavery. They will no longer be used by you to build up your own power and your own image and your own greatness. Because I am their God. I am the one true God. And I'm going to show you that I am that God. This is God's judgment. God is bringing down their idolatry. God is exposing their gods as frauds. God is confronting their injustice. And he's humbling a people who see themselves as superior. In Exodus chapter 10, at the end of the ninth play, Pharaoh again hardens his heart towards the Lord. And listen to these words. Then Pharaoh said to Moses, get away from me. Take care to never see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, as you say, I will never see your face again. Rejection after rejection after rejection. No matter what God did, No matter the power that God showed, Pharaoh continued to harden his heart. And these words at the end of chapter 10 are a foreshadowing of what's going to happen that we're going to cover in a couple of weeks. Pharaoh and Egypt had opposed God's name. They had attempted to redefine goodness and life apart from the one true God. They had opposed God's plan to bless his people, Israel, and to bless the nations of the world through Israel. And God would not let that stand. I wanna ask you, where do you place yourself in this story? Who do you identify with here? I think probably most of us, if we're honest, identify with Israel, right? And we see ourselves as people who are being oppressed. We see ourselves as Christians, as people who are fighting against evil out there. And we project those things onto others. It could be political groups for us. You know, if you're a progressive, it could be those conservative bigots who just judge everybody, try to push their morals on everybody. If you're a conservative, it could be the progressive elites with their secularism and their socialism. Could be other races and other cultures could be the immigrants that are coming into our country. It could be, you know, people of color could be the rural whites, suburban whites, that these people are the oppressors. These people are forcing us in a direction that we won't want to go. It could be systems and structures in our city and in our country that we feel hold people back, discriminate against people that aren't fair. It could be our coworkers that make life difficult for us, that we always have to support, that we always have to pick up after it could be our bosses. Who feel like don't treat us fairly, who don't recognize who we are, who don't give us the opportunities that we think we deserve. We want them to get what they deserve. We want justice. We want judgment. And let's be honest, in a lot of cases, we may be right. We may feel right. We may feel these things because these things are actually true. But what if you are not Israel? What if you are Pharaoh? What if you are the Egyptians? What if you're an idolater? Comfort, superiority, control, power, money and possessions, family. Do you worship these? Do you organize your life around these things? How have you tried to redefine what's good for you? What's good for your kids? What's good for your spouse? Apart from God. And what he says is good. And what he says is right. What sins do you keep for yourself? Because they make you feel good. Because they're a safe place to run to. Because they feed the narrative that you have. About what's good. And about what's right. About who you are. Are there people in your life you're refusing to forgive? People that you're unwilling to show mercy to. People that you're unwilling to offer grace to. Do you have hatred? In your heart. Towards someone else. Towards another people group. How like Pharaoh. Do you try to manipulate God. And say God I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've sinned. I've done wrong. Please don't make me feel the consequences. I'll do what you want me to do. If you take it easy on me. If you don't expose me. If no one ever finds out. Are you becoming indifferent towards God? Are you hardening your heart towards his spirit? We have to deal with this reality. As individuals. But also corporately. As a church. In what ways are you complicit? In the very systems and structures that you condemn for being unjust, for holding people back, for discriminating against people, for pushing people out. What if we, you and me are just as much the oppressors as those who are being oppressed? I want you to look around this room. What we are experiencing here this morning. White people, black people, brown people. Worshipping together. Singing together. Sitting next to each other. Praising God together. Hearing the scriptures together. Being in relationship together. This has not been the norm in our country. Sadly, it isn't the norm still in our country. And as a predominantly white church, this is a reality that we need to face and that we need to talk about. We must acknowledge that for many people of color in our country, churches that are predominantly white and white Christians Have actively or passively contributed to the exclusion and oppression of people of color. Churches who have shut their doors to brothers and sisters in Christ because of the colors of their skin. Churches who make brothers and sisters in Christ feel like outsiders. And try to convert them away from their cultural expressions of worship, singing and prayer, speaking and teaching. Churches who move out of neighborhoods as more people of color move into those neighborhoods. Churches who ignore or are too slow in speaking out against social injustices and inequality. I mean, these are real things that happen, that are happening. I'm not making these up. This is real life. This is what many of us experience, especially those of us in this room who are of color. And for those of us who are white in this room, there are two realities that are equally true. We aren't guilty for all the sins of white Christians. But we are responsible for them. We are responsible to right the wrongs that have been done. We are responsible to lay aside our cultural preferences, our political affiliations, our comfort. We're responsible to listen to our brothers and sisters and take their experiences seriously. We are responsible. To not worry about being weird or saying the wrong thing or accidentally being offensive. We are responsible to enter the lives of our friends of color, to treat them as equals, to pursue them with curiosity, to get to know them and understand them and to love them. We are responsible as a church to create space for them to speak into the direction of our church and the life of our church. We are responsible to open up our homes and our dinner tables to people who speak differently than we speak, who come from different experiences than we do, who come from different places than we do, who believe different things than we do. We are responsible to actively extend mercy to minority communities in our city. We are responsible to speak out against those people and systems who perpetrate injustice. Yes, we are responsible to live and to understand the implications of the gospel. We believe Yes, that God has broken down walls of separation. God has broken down the things that divide us and he has brought us under one blood, Christ's and that that affects the way that we live yes. and the way that we are in relationship with each other. Amen. And in this way, we stand with God yes. and not against him. Yeah. Amen. And let's be honest about another thing. We all experience privilege as Americans, yes. no matter what our skin color is. Writer. Tanahasi Coates, who was recently in Indianapolis, spoke about his experience of privilege as a black American man living in France when black Algerian men were being discriminated against. We all, no matter what our skin tone in this room, experience advantages because we live in this country. We all have our boot on somebody's neck, so to speak. You and me, we are someone else's Egypt. We are someone else's Pharaoh. And if you love, if I love the power and the trappings of oppression, we will harden our hearts. Yeah. We will excuse ourselves. We will make it. We... We will justify what we do and why we do it. And God will confront each of us. God will confront us. If we are his children, he will not let us do this. He will not let us go in that direction. And what's more, God, these very things that God judged Pharaoh in Egypt for their idolatry, their oppression. Continue to read through the Old Testament. He will judge Israel for their idolatry and their oppression. They were oppressed by an idolatrous nation and they would become an idolatrous and oppressive nation. God. God will not let it stand. God will confront our idolatry. God will confront our oppression. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. God will save Egypt too. Amen. Read Isaiah 19. God says this, the Lord will strike Egypt with a plague. He will strike them and he will heal them. Amen. They will turn to the Lord. And they will he will respond to their pleas and he will heal them. Amen. God's mighty outstretched arm is terrifying to the oppressors. But when we throw ourselves on his mercy. When we paint the blood over the door, we're going to talk about this in a few weeks. And we prepare to leave the land of the oppressors. As oppressed people. And flee to the land. The kingdom of God. Where his righteousness. And his justice. And his rule and reign is true. We will be saved. Amen. Mercy is extended to you. Mercy is extended to me. Because the judgment. The ultimate judgment. That we deserve. For our idolatry. And our oppression fell on Jesus Christ. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sin. He was punished so you and I could have peace. And these are times in our lives where we have to do real business with the Lord. Where are we, I Where are you, idolatrous? Where am I? Where are we oppressing and taking advantage of other people? How are we using other people? Are we sensitive to God's spirit? Convicting us? Shedding light? Or will we harden ourselves? And when we cling to our own self-righteousness, say, that's not me. That couldn't be me. I won't let that be me. The invitation to us this morning is to come and to receive mercy. Yeah. To receive grace. That blood that we sang about earlier is powerful. It's more powerful than hatred. It is more powerful than injustice. It is more powerful than other gods that we're tempted to worship. It is more powerful than our own definitions of good and evil. That blood that was shed for us on the cross is powerful and it's transformative and God wants us to be whole. Amen. God wants us to be transformed. And I want to invite you this morning if you are a believer in Jesus Christ to come and to take a piece of the bread, to dip it in the juice To repent of what you need to repent of. To confess what you need to confess of. And this is why we do this every single week. That we confess together. And we immediately follow that up by the assurance that as we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. To forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if that's you this morning, do not not be ashamed. But come and receive that. Come and receive. Come and receive that. If you're not a Christian this morning, if you're still still trying to figure out where am I? I don't know what I believe. I don't know where I'm at with God. I'm still working through things. Know that God's invitation to you is not get yourself cleaned up and then come. Just come. Come. And I will make you clean. And I will transform you. And I will begin making all things. If you have questions about this, if you want to talk more about this, I would love to do that with you. If you would like to pray during this time or after the service, please seek me out. Seek someone else out. We'd love to pray for you. Join with me in prayer.